This episode, you get to meet Mike Eilson, retired Air Force colonel and flight surgeon uh, with, a, with a specialty in neurology. Mike grew up an Air Force brat, graduated from Wiesbaden High School in Germany uh, as an Eagle Scout, Became an, uh, was a non-flyer from the minute he showed up at the academy, and so went off to uh, for about two weeks after graduation to uh, missiles up in uh, Wyoming because he got accepted into Colorado University Med School where he spent the next 20 years being a... Uh, a urologist for the Air Force, followed by a uh, Kaiser Permanente chief uh, uh, doctor in the Sacramento area. He's sort of retired from all that stuff now, but he is, still does soccer refereeing on the weekends, and he's a golf marshal. I hope you enjoy Mike Ielsen. Hey, John. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I read you loud and clear. Very good. All right. Cool. Well, so the question I always like to ask is uh, what message do you have for the incoming class or actually the class of 26, the current cadets, the recent grads, and then the old folks like us? Yeah, good question. And I I appreciate having a chance to hear what everybody else said. But I would say, first of all, to embrace the opportunities that you have, both at the academy and elsewhere, because there'll be many of those. If you take advantage of those, your time will be much better served. Uh, We heard all over and over cooperate. And certainly I a great debt to a lot of my classmates who got me through basic training and working together on academics and certainly having a good sense of humor. I think that's critical both at the academy and, and in med school and in life and marriage it really makes a world of difference. As long, Those, yeah, as long as you're not picking on somebody. It works right. Good. Yeah. Cool. Um, so that, that begs the question, why did you go to Air Force? Yeah, my dad was a career officer. He tried to be a pilot and was down at Hondo and he couldn't clear his ears when he was descending rapidly. So he ended up going into intelligence. So we spent like a lot of folks, uh, a lot of time growing up in different places around the world. It was in Japan in the first grade, was in Minnesota, and then went to high school in Wiesbaden, Germany. And so I kind of got a sense of what the academy was all about. I had a cousin from North Dakota who'd gone there. I didn't know the cousin, but I know he had gone there and then in Wiesbaden, there was people that went to the academy every year. So it kind of got, got my attention more place to go to school. I couldn't fly. So unlike a lot of people who wanted to fly since they were six, I I just could never fly because of my eyes. In fact, I was rather lucky to get accepted to the academy. I was turned down, not commissionable. And my dad was able to get my eyes rechecked and I must have squeaked by. So it was just a good education. And my dad's being in the Air Force kind of got me interested in doing that. So, okay. So uh, Japan, Wiesbaden, Minnesota, what, what was your favorite place? Wiesbaden. We got there in the end of eighth grade and my parents were supposed to be there end up saying five. So I stayed there and graduated. It was just a great place. It was headquarters, USAFE, had great friends. Uh, it was a great place to go to high school. By far and away, our best assignment. And did a lot of Boy Scout stuff there in Switzerland, Italy. Yeah, so that was, that was a super place. Oh, cool. Did you, how, far, how far did you go on the Boy Scouts? I was an Eagle Scout. Great. And then uh, uh, just, just a random question, did you pick up languages? I spoke when I left there. I don't speak very well now, as I found out a few years ago when I Took my youngest son and my wife back to Wiesbaden as I really don't speak it very well. But at that time, I spoke it, took a little German at the academy. So I was I was pretty fluent in, in my day. Okay. And, and was it, now these are all, uh, I assume, everywhere you went pretty much as public schools? Yeah, I went to, yeah, exactly. I went to uh, first grade in, in, in Yokota. That was a military first grade. And, and all the rest of them were public schools. Wiesbaden was a military high school. Yeah. So everything, everything else was going on the economy, so to speak. Yeah. 
No, I, I, I have a similar background. My dad was also in intelligence in the Air Force. Oh, wow. Uh, we never we lived in Japan, but that, that was a baby there. Uh, everything else was uh, either Alaska or states. So we never lived in Europe. You know, my dad had some pretty good assignments. He ended up in Vietnam for a year and took two years getting ready for that. But he, he loved the Minnesota assignment. It was great. He was an ROTC instructor there and uh, got to go to a lot of football games and become Minnesota fans for, for football. <laughs> that, that, was, that was pretty cool. That's too bad. You lot of lost Super Bowls in those days, right? We, I was a Denver, Minnesota fan. I was like 0 and 8 in Super Bowls for a while. It was pretty <laughs> painful. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, so, so you get accepted, and you go from Germany to Colorado. What was the uh, What was your first year like? Oh, it was like a lot of people's first year. I mean, it was it was, it was pretty rough at times. Um, as is, I found I was blessed with some really good roommates and really good classmates. Uh, long way from home. That was. A little difficult at times, you know, because I didn't get to go home for Thanksgiving. But, you know, it was it was kind of a tough year, but it was tough for everybody. And we kind of kind of buckled down and got through it, as you know. And I really had some good roommates. I was really lucky in that regard. What what did the roommates do to help you get through that stuff? Well, my first roommate was Jim Crocker, who's from uh, Simsbury, Connecticut. And Jim had just a tremendous sense of humor. And he asked me about two days into the uh, basic training, he said, is there mountains here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jim, it's really pretty. Oh, I didn't know. I haven't seen them yet. And as you recall, they, they blamed us for the weather. That's the first time we heard the comment of your class, which kind of was a goofy thing to say. I thought, that's a stupid thing to say, blaming us on for the weather. And Jim also asked me about, about a weekend. Well, hey, Mike, what's your first name again? Because you don't get a chance to chat with your roommates. So I thought that was kind of cute. And he used to get in trouble for laughing. We had a lot of squat thrust to ha, 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 one, sir, ha, 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 two, sir, ha, ha, three, sir, because he'd get in trouble because he would laugh. So he kind of kept us going. He, he was he was a good guy. Uh, did he graduate with us? He did. Jim, actually, he went with Kevin Chilton, one of the person who I don't know, to uh, Columbia with, as a Guggenheim scholar. So Jim did real well. He graduated wow. out of fifth squadron. You know, I was in sixth, so we got to see each other th throughout the time at the academy. That's cool. And yeah. what, what what was your dually squadron? My dually squadron was 20. We were okay. at the very end of the, the Vandenberg Hall. The Trolls, is that right? We were the Trolls. And uh, did you guys do any uh, spirit pranks or anything to, to get the attention of the first upperclassmen? We did not. We were not much into that. I'm not sure exactly why we did not. Um, one story about our, our, our basic squad, I don't know if you recall. I think you were in 15, as you said, or recalled. Yeah, I was 15. Yeah, yeah. But as we went through basic training, it was pretty miserable. And then suddenly they put you in an ethics or an honors lecture in Vandenberg Hall on, or Fairchild Hall. And that was a pretty good, pretty cool. It's nice. It's easy. It was, you could sit back and they used to ask you, what squadron are you going into? And they asked a couple squadrons and people would say, oh, that's a pretty good squadron. That's my squadron. They'd say 20. It's just like, huh, <laughs> I guess it's okay. And then they'd say 15. And, they, and I don't know if you probably remember this. They'd say, oh my God, well, that's too bad. That's a tough squadron. And I don't know if you remember that from basic training, but we heard that over and over. I'm thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not going in 15. I don't know how, how 15 really was, but. Uh, it was really bad. Yeah, that's but and they told you guys ahead of time. I felt really bad for you guys. Yeah. They were doing uh, uh, shower formation during the academic year. Um, they had us running running uh, five mile morning runs a couple oh. times in, during the academic year. I was like, "What the? Hell? Nobody else is doing this. What are we? What are we doing?" Here? Yeah, yeah. Their their whole thing was to be the most military squadron on the base or on, on the campus. So, yeah, twenty was good. Twenty was very consistent. In fact, I just ran into a guy class of 74 tom Hendricks, who's an astronaut at the air force army game and i got talking to him i kind of burst his bubble because i said you guys are really fair because i thought we were assholes i said well you tried to be but you guys are really fair i mean they weren't easy by any stretch 
they kind of set a standard and expect us to hit that. But once the year got to be about half over, they kind of, well, you guys know what you're doing. And they kind of left us alone a lot, which we really appreciated. Yeah, we never knew what we were doing. I think that's part of our problem. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I ended up losing three out of four of my roommates. That was kind of the rough part. Yeah, we, we went through some roommates, too. I, uh, yeah, got, for different reasons. A couple of guys quit. A couple of guys got booted. So I lost two right after Christmas. There were three of us in a room, so I was the only person left in an element. And my element sergeant looked at me and says, Elson, if you quit, I'll kill you. <laughs> I don't know what I said back to him. I think I said, sir, I don't want to die or something. I don't know. I said, sir, I'm going to stay. And then my, I had a, a roommate after that that just stayed a year and quit, which is too bad. The one guy who was the roommate who stayed on is somebody you know, is Steve Press. Oh, yeah. Steve was just a great guy. Oh, and yeah, we had no. the claim to fame as we looked out at the chapel. We were the only duly room that looked out in the chapel in the mountains. For some reason, they did give one. So we had a figure we had a pretty nice room. But Steve was a great roommate, too. You had a view. Room with a we view had, with Press. had a room with a view. Yep. Pr- Press helped me get through. Yeah. <laughs> he put up with my insanity. And he, and he did. Oh, I bet. We're, still, we're still really close friends. I, I talk to him every week. Well, tell him, give him my regards. Give him my regards. He and I actually each bought a, a, a clock radio and put it on the other side of the room. That was our stereo. I don't know why we didn't quite have a stereo. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so what does uh, I always ask? What? How? When was the first time you realized the academics are going to be a little tougher? I was kind of blessed with the academics because okay. it really the math came really easily. I probably should have been an engineering major. The and the pre med and other stuff came pretty well. So, I just knew I didn't need to spend more time on that. And then. You're kind of working with people. People were always asking for help and stuff. And, you know, Joe Evans was my roommate. He was a top student, double E. So he was brilliant. So he helped me in physics and stuff. And we tried to help other people. So it, it, I never was concerned about flunking out. It was just trying to get the grades I, I knew I needed. And then I kind of figured out early that if you weren't a pilot, there weren't, weren't a whole lot of good things. Doctor, not to put missiles down, but that really wasn't too high on my list at that time. <laughs> I don't think any of us had that on our list. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one guy did. I've, I've talked to a guy that had it on his list, but that, wow, wow. That, that, that's he turned down pilot training for missiles. Oh my goodness, I never heard of that. Yeah, Steve Simon. Look, you'll, you'll, he's the seventy-seven grad, but that that was a very interesting story. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I, I said I did the opposite. I did anything I could to get away from missile silo. So, uh, Summers, third, third Louis. It was in Bitburg, Germany. That was a really good third, third, third Louis. I had a really good time there. Got got a flight in an F four. That was probably my highlight of flying, so I enjoyed that. And one of the things that was cool is they they called us. About, I don't know about a month or two before and said, "Are you willing to give up a week of leave to go to the German Air Force Academy?" I said, huh. "My parents live in Denver." I said, "I love my parents, but you bet <laughs> I can do that." And they said, "Then they said, well, you may know the guys who are going." They said, "A guy by the name of Chilton, who everyone knows, Kevin Chilton, Clark Hick." one of my roommates in six squadron lucky dunn who was a doc craig oh, wow. kinney who was my roommate and and uh so we had seven of us that, that ended up at the german air force academy for a week and that was a pretty good deal that was a pretty good deal and you did you know anybody from your time in germany yet that was in the german air force i did not i did not and a funny story there kevin Chilton, being the leader that he was even back then said let's give them a saber he said great idea i said i can get a little talker he spoke some german so he said, I'll bring the saber. Perfect. So we put the USO in Philadelphia and Kevin's got the a box. I said, great, Kevin. Thanks. He goes, oh, there's a glitch. He said, even in 1974, you couldn't carry a saber on. Yeah, that's good to say. Yeah. So a saber ended up showing up a couple months later and I gave a presented a box to the German. Air Force. <laughs> well, well, at least they, they eventually got it. Yeah, they did. They did. 
Cool. Uh, any other uh, summer things stand out for you? I had a good summer. I, I did soaring the first summer. And, of course, did Siri. Siri was tough. I did Siri three times. I was on, on cadre staff as a squadron commander and first sergeant the next two years. But I, I, I hate to say I liked Siri, but the survival was kind of a takeoff on Boy Scouts. And the resistance was just terrible, but you got through it together. Yeah, yeah. Did you get anything uh, when you were on the cadre? What You say you were squadron commander. What does that mean? I was in charge of the people who taught the, the people survival skills. So we're kind of supervising and teaching the survival skills, you know, making tents out of parachutes and okay. how to cook and stuff. And so the, you, were, go you ahead. were running the POW camp, right? No, no, that was resistance. That was actually Jeff Short. I remember Jeff, he graduated posthumous, yeah. but he was resistance squadron commander. So I knew Jeff, sadly, fairly well. And a funny series story that throw out, Bob Faber was my serial roommate. You know, Elfson and Faber were pretty close. And Bob's a good friend of mine, was an 11 squadron. And great guy, very, very solid, very calm guy. And we're starting off on the first day and the two of us are scouts. So I led for a while and I, I looked at Bob. I said, hey, why don't you lead? He goes, I'm not real good at this. I said, Bob, you're going to be a pilot. You really need to know how to do this. He says, yeah, that makes sense. He said, tell you what, I'll look over your shoulder. I'll kind of take responsibility, make sure we don't get lost. He goes, yeah, that works. But I didn't do that. I dropped the ball. So five hours later, we end up in the same spot we started. <laughs> <laughs> but for the rest of the week, nobody nobody would touch the compass except the two Boy Scouts. And we said, <laughs> even coming into the very tail end, we went up the hill and you saw the the final checkpoint on top of the hill. I said, Bob, take us home. No, 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 no. <laughs> you got to do it. But I thought that was kind of a fun deal. But yeah, Siri was tough, but kind of, I thought it was a great program. Yeah, it was, it was, I, uh, I got to go to Siri twice and the, the Air Force Siri was much tougher than the Navy Siri. Really? You, did you go to Fairchild with the Navy Siri or was it different? No, it was uh, Warner Springs down in San Diego. Wow. Yeah. Desert, desert. And they, they got the box, got the waterboard, got everything down there. But oh my uh, goodness. Yeah, I, I was not a good happy camper because I thought I had already had my check in a box, and they said, "No, you didn't get the Navy one, so we don't. We're going to make you go again." Now, what was your job in the Navy? What'd you do in the Navy? Uh, Naval Flight Officer EA six B. I was basically a navigator. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Um. So, okay, so you were a good student. You're, I assume you're on the, the right, correct dean's list all the time, right? Yeah, I missed it one semester when I was squadron commander. I, I kind of slipped down, but yeah, I was got pretty decent grades. Did you do any uh, sports or athletic stuff uh, that you? No, just intramurals. I mean, I enjoyed the intramurals except for the boxing, but uh, the rest of it was pretty good. So they made you box intramurals? You know, I don't know if you remember when we were sophomores, when we were three degrees, you couldn't take, you couldn't box on the team unless you had boxing in gym because kids are getting killed. And so I was, I was a small guy, box 133. So I looked, went around and talked to every small dually in the squad and none of them had boxing. So I was kind of left to box just by oh. default and got TKO'd my first fight, lost a second fight. And then I had an upperclassman, Jim Bean, said, we're going to get you guys in shape. Give me a half an hour every evening, you know. And we boxed to music. I was in shape. And my third fight, I remember sitting down after the first round. He goes, you're ahead. I said, I've never been ahead before. We're pretty sure you're ahead. And then after the second and third round, so you're definitely ahead. So I won the next three fights and lost the last one to the best guy I fought all year. So I thought that was pretty good that I kind of learned to box. It wasn't my favorite. I kind of enjoyed rec or uh, squash and stuff like that more than that. But it, <laughs> out of sport. Well, yeah, and, and and lucky for you, I hope you never ran into Steve Pruss uh, when he was a boxer. No, I don't know if no, I did not. Yeah, he, he not my weight he group. Was, he was hysterical. <laughs> was he? Was he yeah. a good boxer? Oh yeah, we won wing wing champ wing whatever the the intramural championship, and he was wow. one of the guys that I think he, I don't know if he went undefeated, but he he beat the crap out of everybody. It was funny. Well, John Dedick was a boxer. He's in your squadron. Yeah, yep. he, he took second in the wing. 
I know. Yeah, we we talked about that on his uh, episode too. He he had to fight the championship fight with a broken nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, so honors. Uh, did you did you do any clubs or anything special or just a ski club, which everybody kind of did, yeah. but yeah. nothing else really stood out besides that. All right, so so then you graduate and you, you head off to Fe Warren for what two weeks. <laughs> I did. I did a little, little point in my six squadron. I want to put a little plug for that. Is that we yeah. the good good group in six squadron? We lost only two people, but Fred Ledbetter left after two years, and Steve Long after three, losing the fight with the dean. We got them both back to reunions, which we're pretty proud of. So Steve Long and or Tom Green got in touch with them. So we we got them back for the thirtieth reunion. That's so, great. So one guy got booted with uh, right before our first year. Yeah, for grades. And then another guy after just wasn't two years just wasn't for him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, uh, we had a guy get booted with a semester to go for great. Oh my goodness. Oh, good grief. Yeah. Pat Murray, but we got him back for our 40th reunion. Good for you. Yeah. I always thought that people showed up third 72 or our classmates. I was glad to see people back kind of a thing. Yeah. I, I, I told Pat, I said, look, uh, even though the Academy didn't uh, graduate, you were still a part of the class. Yeah. I Definitely think... part of the squadron. So, yeah. People believe that for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, yeah. If if we run into each other at another reunion, let me let me know the guys that didn't quite make. It. I'd love to say hi to them. Yeah, I, I'll do that. So tell us tell us about your your Air Force, uh, your short little missile career, and what happened. You know, they convinced me probably. Or maybe you listened more than I did that you got to have a uh, yeah, that you got to do missiles if you couldn't fly. I didn't think to go in a service, a different service academy. So I, I our, our, our service. So we got F.E. Warren, not too far from my parents, and headed up there. And like the pilots, they weren't going to train us in, Van- in Vandenberg until December. So they were looking for things to do, and we were kind of in processing. And I got a call from my dad one evening that he, he said, you got a letter from the University of Colorado because I'd been an alternate at three schools. He said, I, I opened it. I hope you don't mind because I thought I'm important. I said, no, no problem, Dad. And he says, yeah, you got accepted to med school. <laughs> so I, next morning I went down and talked to my ops officer who was very cool about it. And they hadn't put any money into me or trained me. And he said, well, you have a good career. And. They out-processed me, and I scooted down to Denver to start med school there. So did you ever go to a missile silo? <laughs> I don't remember. They might have taken me down in orientation. I think I might have went down to a missile silo, but that was kind of the, the extent of my missile training. <laughs> missile lucky, training. lucky you. So, so, all right, so you go from Air Force to the enemy in <laughs> <laughs> Colorado. How, I mean, with the short hair and all that anti-war stuff, how did that pan out for you? It was interesting. Um, just a thing about one final thing about missiles. My sponsor was a guy named Scott McElvain, whose uh, brother is a 66 grad fighter pilot and nice guy, nicest guy in the world. And we got, obviously got talking. And his dad, Wilbur McElvain, was the first flight surgeon at the Air Force Academy. And, uh, which is, and Scott, as I was going to med school, said, you want one of my dad's pins? And I said, well, you don't, you don't want it? He said, we have a bunch. So he gave me one of his dad's caduceus, which is a little pin that doctors wear to say we're doctors. Okay. And I was able to wear it for five years. So that was pretty cool. I feel it was kind of a legacy kind of thing. That's great. Yeah. So med so, school was good. Med school was 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 really, it, it was not easy. You had to put a lot more time into it, but it wasn't, I, I knew I was going to get through it. And um, you know, I was the only Air Force Academy graduate class with one West Point guy. And my classmates were pretty cool. I mean, you know, they didn't have any chips on their shoulders about uh, the academy. Um, and I was lucky in that regard. One of my study partners who was from Carter College did tell me, he says, I knew a lot of cadets when I was in Carter College. And I said, oh, 
you're not like any of them. And I said, oh, is that good? Oh, that's really good. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> thanks, Betsy. <laughs> I don't know what exactly that meant, but uh, I thought that was kind of a, a cool statement. Yeah, that I've, I've run into that too. People are surprised that we're human. <laughs> yeah, that's true. yeah. You get us in a big uh, in a big group. They think we're all these automatons, and then they talk to us on the side. They go, "No, you're actually pretty cool." <laughs> yeah, no, that was that. That was that. All right. So, but now you owe the Air Force uh, some time. Now, okay, walk us through the uh, the med school situation. You know, how many years, and then residency and all that stuff. Med school is four years. Um, you do two years. In, in my time was going sitting in class. Artists after you sit in the class at the academy for four years, just sit in the class, but kind of got through that. And then the third and fourth years are clinical rotations on the ward uh, where you take care of patients. It's kind of like on TV. There's medical student shows that come up on shows on TV. It's pretty active with that. You're kind of at the bottom of the, of the tier as far as uh, folks, but uh, a lot of teaching, not a lot of harassing. And I started off wanting going to going into pediatrics, but once I did clinic pediatrics it just wasn't my thing so I was kind of looking for something to do and kind of stumbled into urology um, and that ended up being a good fit for me all right and so after you do the four years of med school and and what the two years of classes and two years of uh, uh, basically hitting the uh, the student thing you have to go do a specialty somewhere is that right yeah I was I went to Wolford Hall or Lackland and did my five-year residency there started off as a general because I had to compete for urology. And the, the funny thing is I had gone to med school two summers. So I graduated from the from med school way early, like in February. So I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. But I had some uh, residents who had gone to Africa doing a, some humanitarian third world medicine. So I decided I wanted to do that. So I showed up at Wolford Hall and said, you know, can I go to New Guinea? I'd set a, a, a rotation in New Guinea. And they were fortunate, kind enough to let me do that ahead of time. And then I, uh, in that June, I, I started that was kind of fun because there were a lot of our classmates were there. There's, I think uh, there's seven other 76 classmates there. So that was a lot of fun to reunite with people again there. That's cool. And yeah. this was all at Lackland? It was at Lackland. It was, it was called Wolford Hall. It was a yeah. big medical center down there. And you went to, uh, but you said you went to New Guinea for a while? I did. I I, I, I asked to go to a permissive TDY, funny story. And then they, uh, they, the, I had to talk to the vice commander of the hospital. And he said, I don't know about that. Let me check with legal. And he said, come back tomorrow. Absolutely. So I show up next week. He said, can't let you do it. I said, oh, no. And he said, no, 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 no. It's not as bad as it sounds. You can take leave. You must have leave built up. I know a lot of the academy guys don't take a lot of leave in med school. I said, yeah, I have a lot of leave because my parents and siblings lived in Denver and the girl I dated lived in Denver. So I'd you know, get time off for Christmas and it wouldn't cost me any leave. He said, yeah, give me a leave slip. Just be back in July and June. <clears throat> so I, I gave him a leave slip for 85 days of leave, which I'm kind of proud. Wow. <laughs> New Guinea was pretty cool. I mean, it was like and leprosy and malaria was quite a quite a place to practice and what kind of uh, housing did you have there there was this house for medical students and we slept in a a mattress on the floor and we had a wood burning stove that we heated the water and cooked with and it was pretty it's about two blocks from the hospital so those of us who are geographically challenged where is new guinea it is no just north of, of africa and i'm sorry just north of australia I was going to say, you kept saying Africa. I go, I thought New Guinea was over in the Pacific. Somewhere. Yeah, no, over the Pacific, yeah. <laughs> I, must, I must not know my geography as well. No, no, where it was. That was quite a ways to go. But that was a lot of fun. That was kind of a unique, unique experience. And that's a, real, that's a real tropical place right around the equator. It is. 
they're getting all kinds of different diseases you could pick up. On Absolutely. Yeah, it was really quite something. And then, and then uh, so laughing to uh, uh, New Mexico, right? Right. You know, we spent five years at Lackland. That was an important thing to me because that's where I met my wife. Our nurse was an OR nurse in the Air Force. And I met her my, my second year just, just as an acquaintance. And she tells the story. I don't remember as much as well as she did, but when they, you know, her job of many jobs in the operating room was to tie up the surgeons and gown you and tie you up and size fits all for the gown. So the heavy set people like the staff, she had trouble tying and she tied me up and I, of course I'm thin. So I had a lot of string left over. And her comment to me was, doesn't your wife feed you? And I said, I'm not married. <laughs> and she said, she put me on the list after that. Ah, that's good. It was. And then we met at a couple parties later on that year. And then things went, got engaged quickly and got married in, in April of my third year. Cool. And she let you go to New Guinea. No, that was after New Guinea. Okay, okay, all right. But now was she able to follow you to Kirtland? She was. She she got out of the Air Force. She had a three-year tour and, and went in the reserves. So she ended up spending 18 years in the reserves. So she was in the reserves at Kirtland and in the reserves at Travis. And she actually worked with me. I was able to be in the, in the OR with her, and she, she would be in, the, in, my, in my OR when I did surgery, which is a lot of fun because she's an excellent nurse. So I was lucky to have her in, in the room with me. Cool. And you could do the uh, ESP kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Yeah, it really was, was 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 quite pleasant. We could sometimes ride to work together. It was it was it was a lot of fun. Oh, I'm 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 glad that was fun. Some sometimes spouses don't work together in stressful situations uh, well. Yeah, I, I don't think I had too much of a surgeon's personality, like you see on TV. And you know, she was she she's always kept me well grounded, which was which was important. That's good. That's good. And then, uh, so urology in at Kirtland for how many years? I was there for three years. And I was there with Chuck Pribble, who was a hockey player, and Graham French, who's they're the orthopedic surgeons. Actually, I worked for Chuck. He was one of my two classmate bosses. <clears throat> and that was a great place. Cortland was a great place. Had great bosses. Um, the, the vice commander was a 72 grad. It was just a, a wonderful, leader, wonderful person. He had a unique style. He'd wander. Of course, a little hospital, that's easy to do. But he ended up being a, a one-star commander at, at uh, Travis. And he'd just show up in my clinic in the middle of the afternoon, or I'd come out in the middle middle of clinic and he'd be talking to my texts and stuff. That was just his style is he liked to get out among his, his, his people. So Kirtland was just a great place to be assigned. Cause I've heard other people, at least single guys, not liking Kirkland. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that, but you know, you're married. One, one guy told me there's a woman behind every tree, but there's no trees. <laughs> I think that was canon, but it, I could be wrong. <laughs> the nice thing uh, about Kirtland too, is that you, the Sandia ski area was just up a tram. You could actually take call for the hospital from the slopes which is pretty cool okay i got involved in a ski group there with a yeah you know, with uh, the hospital ski group and we skied and tell you right in purgatory oh wow yeah so it was that was very cool and then you got to go to california i did we ended up at travis my in-laws were aging so we kind of had a chance to spot in germany but with aging in-laws and my parents being a little bit older we figured we better stay in the state so i ended up at travis for, for 14 years yeah, so you you went back to back on tours. I mean, how does that work for the uh, the medical community? Do they want to keep you static at a place, or did they? You know, at that time, they gave you opportunities to get promoted, um, unless you went into command. If you went into command, like we've talked to Byron Hepburn, he he was all over the place with his jobs. But if you went into command, they moved you. But if not, they they kept you there. And towards the very end of, of my time at Travis, where. They started talking about moving me to command and stuff like that. But uh, David Albertino was with me. I knew Dave. He was in 7th Squadron. 
he was a general surgeon. He was, he was my boss. I was his boss for a while and then he was my boss and retired me at the end, which was pretty cool. <laughs> so wait, wait, he was your boss and you were his boss and he, retired. well, Pete, you step up to be chief of surgery. And so you okay. said, you stepped up and then he came to me and says, are they going to try to move me? I want to be chief of surgery. I said, fine, take the job. <laughs> yeah. The, the guy, I remember Byron Hepburn was in my Julie squadron with me. <clears throat> yeah. He was another survivor of the 15th uh, deal. So um, let's see. So then you, you say not quite, no, over 20. Yeah. 26 years on active duty. Yeah. I had 26. And you ended up a Colonel. I did. I did. And, my dad was a line lieutenant colonel. He was an intelligence officer, great officer, but just didn't have the the things you had to do to make 06 in his career field. So yeah. I wasn't trying to, up, but he pinned me on to 06, I was, you know, but I kind of wanted to want to be 06 because I had to stay in obviously past 20 to do that. But my wife was pretty supportive of that. So I was glad I did that. And the fact you weren't moving around a lot probably helped too. That made a difference. We were really lucky in that regard. Yeah. My, my dad uh, retired a lieutenant colonel and I, Again, the Intel guys—they just had a tough time climbing, climbing up that 06 rank. They did. My dad, they, my dad was not a regular officer, and in his career field, your dad's career field too, so nobody made officer in the 18, 19 year career mark. So that was a little disappointing. Yeah, my, my, I think my dad got to be regular, but he didn't get the he he, and he was sit, he was running the National Military Command Center, and they passed him over, and he's like, I'm mad at that. My dad was at USAFE. He was the exec to the chief of intelligence for USAFE. So it was a pretty good job, I thought. And uh, so I understand from Travis to Kaiser Permanente. How did that transition go? Yeah, you know, I, we wanted to stay. My in-laws were really aging at this time. So we wanted to stay locally. And I had friends of mine that worked in, in a healthcare facility, uh, model like Kaiser, which is kind of a, you know, you, you just go to work, you're salaried, you know, you don't have to kind of bill people. You don't have to worry about office problems. And I, Dave Kissinger was a good friend of mine. I was walking through Travis one day and I hear Mike and I heard, hadn't heard that voice. He'd gone to our wedding because he's a friend of Judy and mine. And he said, I'm working at Kaiser. And I said, which Kaiser? He said, Kaiser South Sac. I said, I've never heard of that. He says, no, it's really good. He said, I looked at a lot of Kaisers, but it's, it really has a good feel to it. He says, you'll really like it. So I looked around, that was the Kaiser was hiring and it really, you did have a good feel. And I was really lucky to, to get hired on there, stayed 16 years. And it, it's, it's like the military without a uniform. And there were probably half a dozen grads at that hospital. And that was, that was a lot of fun. And work, one of the other urologists was an 85 grad. So we, we kind of enjoyed talking about the academy. So it was an easy move and for us. And my youngest was still in high school. So I commuted from Sacramento to Sac to for four years. till so he finished high school, which is a little rough with the call, but I, he was such a good kid. I wanted to give him a chance to finish high school where he started. No, that, that that's important. I know, I know that's important, especially for military kids. Yeah. All right. And then I got to ask, did you ever do any flying? Yeah, I, I was a, <clears throat> a lot of docs will become flight surgeons just because it enhances your career a little bit. So I did that. <clears throat> oh, about 10 years into my career, maybe a little longer. And one day and said, you know, we need people to see clinic flight surgeon clinic are you willing to do that and i said yeah that sounds like i can i can spare you you know we're not that busy in urology and he says we'll get you some flights but we can't pay you and i said yeah i understand there's only a certain amount of billets for flight surgery in a, in a hospital i won't get paid so we'll get you some flights we'll fly in some helicopters or c-130s and stuff so i did that for a while and then i got called i think it was in 95 summer of cobalt or the wind the fall of cobalt towers and said somebody's mother is really ill deployed are you willing to go to uae Wow. So I went and asked my wife and she, she told me afterwards she was pretty nervous about it. But she said, you've always wanted to 
do something more military. So I went there and, and spent about a month there as a, as a flight doc for a KC-10 squadron. It was just an absolute ball. It was really, really interesting. It's the only doc for 300 people and got to fly. We did Southern Watch flying over Iran, and I, I really enjoyed that. That, that. that was one of the highlights of my career. So what? I'm just curious, what does a flight surgeon do in a KC-10? We just sit next to the person refueling, and he wows us. But what we do is we take care of, we're responsible for all the medical problems of the people flying. So any medical issue at all uh, to any of the flyers, 300 flyers, they came to see me. I had a had a clinic in my in my apartment and a clinic at the UAE at Abu Dhabi, the base. So you're their, you're their family doctor. Fortunately, most flyers, as you know, are super healthy. But, you know, I had one time a lady with, with belly pain. So I had to run downtown and buy a pregnancy test to make sure she wasn't pregnant because I was worried about a tubal yeah. pregnancy. And she wasn't. And, of course... You know, we're a small group, so the next morning she was having breakfast at the next table next to me, and I was able to lean over and say, you're doing better. And she said, yeah, yeah. I think it was just, you know, indigestion or something. So it was pretty cool. It were, it were, that was a lot of fun. Wow. Any any close calls in your flying days? Well, I, not that I'm aware of. Or, I, your, I, or your medical days. Oh, wow. No, not not to the extent of some of the other people who had flying close calls. I didn't fly that much to have have close calls and medical. No. Well, not. well I'm thinking in the world of, of medicine, did you ever have to make really tough decisions? Uh, trying to trying to uh, help the folks listening to understand the uh, what the academy beats into us, and then what kind of when you're under stress, what kind of decisions do you make? Yeah, urology takes care of people from born actually before they're born to older people. I think the toughest thing that I can recall doing is the one patient that I had to tell the family that their son had cancer. He was a little five-year-old. Dad was a captain. And, and unfortunately, we took his kidney out. I took him. We, I, he went down to the University of New Mexico because it wasn't a, a case I could do it at Cortland, but I did it with the, um, the um, urologic oncologist down there and one of the residents. And we did a great job and we got all the cancer out, but he had bad, it's called unfavorable histology. He had a cancer and he passed away a couple years later which is quite sad but that was that was a tough thing to, to oh talk. yeah yeah kids that are sick oh that's 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 the worst we had a 77 grad not to mention mention his name but he ended up having obstructive liver ducts and he died dwight landman actually flew him to philadelphia to or pittsburgh for a potential liver transplant but he, he ended up bleeding out and didn't make it so that was a tough one that was a tough one for all of us because we got to know him really well because he was in the hospital so long and i'd on my nights on call i'd, I'd have my dinner with I got to know. I said, you mind? He had a special diet. He said, you can eat whatever you want and sit and talk to him. So that was a tough one. So, yeah, there are definitely some tough things. So so my research tells me you got a couple of uh, medals. Yeah, I guess. A couple of MSM medals. And a, yeah. And a commendation medal, right? Medal. There you go. <laughs> Anything significant on those? No, I I, uh, I taught ACLS at Travis. That was one of my bigger jobs, to teach in the, the heart cardiac life support you know had shocking people and stuff like that i kind of stumbled on that one summer so that was kind of unusual for urologists to do that but i kind of got, got in charge of that so nothing extraordinary on that and i was i was a family practice instructor of the year at travis my first year there i was kind of proud of that because it's yeah. from the from the um the, the residents pick one person out of about 200 docs to give it to somebody and so I thought I did a good job. I didn't think I did that. I wasn't aware I did that good job. <laughs> well, somebody was. That's, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, funny, I, um... funny story. My, one of my partners 
when it a few years later and he was from New York and one morning I came into work and I heard about how many F words Dr. Stoneham had. I said, Johnny, what happened? This resident cut me off. He practically killed me. I said, did you swear to him? Well, yeah, but he could have killed me. I said, John. So the chief of uh, family practice called me, who was a 75 grad. And I said, Pete, I'll take care of it. I said, John, you can't do that. I said, you're going to be this guy's boss when he rotates through our service. I never thought of that. <laughs> so he apologized and it settled down and he wins the award for the year. And he, the, the kid presented the award to him and said, not only Dr. Stoneham teach me urology, but he taught give me driving pointers. <laughs> that, that, was pretty cute. that was pretty cute. That's great. And, and I also see here that you were pretty active in the AOG. Yeah, I kind of started to be active a few years ago, and then the current president stepped down. So I've been the president for three years. It's, it's, it's kind of a fun job. It's nice if we had a better setup for, for uh, people taking our place because it's a little bit of work. But I, I, enjoy, the, I, I enjoy the AOG. And the, as you probably know, that now everybody who graduates is a member of the AOG, which is a change from when we were there. Yeah, they just flipped that over last year, right? But a lot of people just don't want to be involved with that, especially the real younger people. That's 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 our biggest frustration. Well, it's a it's a traumatic experience for a lot of folks because it's not the typical college deal. No, and uh, it takes some time to uh, get over over all the stuff you were doing. I mean, no, I, I <laughs> that's part of why we're doing this uh, these recordings is to let folks know it's okay to ha- have some bad memories, you know, of the place because you'll you'll survive. You it's built your character and you're going to be okay. <laughs> well, I think of the 10 years people said, I have been back here with having, having bad feelings since I left. He said, I, I, now I have decent feelings, but you're right. Some people just had, I guess I'm glad I didn't have a horrible time there. That would have been. Yeah. I, there, I've still got buddies that don't, don't want to go back. And I've talked to a lot of the younger folks. They don't understand. Yeah. I, they just don't want to go back. It just brings back too many memories. And I, I also just grip my teeth when I go back because a lot of the, the negative stuff starts to pop out almost immediately for me. Well, the one guy that we can't get back is a fellow who got sent to 19th squadron when they shuffled the squadrons. And we, I think, honestly, I think he's bitter about being shuffled. And we didn't do a very good job when people left our squadron because he's beginning of his first year. We're busy. We're, we're studying. And I don't think we, we kind of just let them go and didn't reach. Other guys have come back. And actually, we had a guy we hadn't seen since the 10-year who got shuffled eight squadron. We had we brought him back last time or he came back last time and hung around our squadron with the last reunion, which was pretty cool. So you, uh, you lost how many guys your, your first year to, uh, cause you you only had a couple quit. What, what we lost three and we got Ed Fairbrother who was a hockey player joined us. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, Ed, we Ed lost was, four and nobody came in. <laughs> they just had to restaff some other. You guys squad. didn't lose many. I recall from one of your, yeah, we the one guy got booted for grades. We lost a guy like a month in for marijuana, and that was it. No good grief! Wow. Yeah, we nobody quit. Nobody wanted to quit, and in fact, nobody. Don't only one guy's passed away of the group. So it's kind of a a, a quirky little thing. We had we were like the bride. We had a great sense of humor. We weren't good at anything except laughing and making. And I think you guys did a lot of a lot of spirit pranks. Oh yeah, it, it gets out of control. So I, I, but I, I, one last question that is you've, you somehow, I thought I saw you part of the San Diego AOG. No, does that, does that no, I'm the sac part of the, we're the Sacramento chapter. Okay. Well, I saw the San Diego thing. I go, okay. I'm going to ask about that. Cause you live pretty far from San Diego. We do. We do. For... Yeah. All right. So what are you doing these days? Well, I referee soccer. I enjoy doing that. Yeah. And, I marshal at a golf course. I'm not a good golfer. And my wife just said after not having me much, I can't be around 24-7. So you got to find something to do. So I like that. We're kind of a 
interesting course. We allow dogs on the course. One of my jobs is bring dog treats for the dogs kind of a thing. You don't see that much in a golf course. Huh. My wife and I tra- travel and both our boys live pretty close to us. So we're able to see them frequently, which we enjoy doing that. That's great. Yeah. My wife and I, after COVID, we said to take up golf. I told her, don't expect much. I was very bad golfer at the Academy and I haven't really golfed much, but now we're, we're out there hacking away and it's a lot of fun. The, the marshals, when we go to a course that has marshals, they chase us off because we're too bad, but most oh. of the courses we play, they don't have the fancy marshals. So we're good. Do you still work, John? Are you still working? Or are you retired? Yeah, I'm still working. Wow. What do you do? Uh, uh, well, let me, let me, let's finish the recording. I'll call you right back. Okay. Thanks. Thanks again, Mike. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.